This is DMOU, Destination Marketing Organization University, the DMO Sectors Podcast, and I'm your host, Bill Geist. DMOU is where you hear the best and the brightest in the destination marketing space sharing innovative and compelling stories to inspire you to take your destination and organization to the next level. The format for our conversations on DMOU is elegantly simple. It's three questions and a bonus round. And this episode is sponsored by our friends at 2.6 Digital, a full-service agency that offers integrated marketing solutions exclusively to DMOs and members of the travel, tourism, and hospitality industries. Dave Serino, Brian Matson, and the 2.6 team assist DMOs with developing measurable and successful digital marketing strategies through specialized solutions to elevate the overall understanding, strategic direction, and tactical implementation of impactful campaigns. You can learn more at 26digital, all letters, no numbers, 26digital.com. And now it's on to our show. Our guest today is Christy Morrison, who has served as the president and CEO of Stillwater's Destination Marketing Organization since 1995. She began her career within the Stillwater Economic Development Team as vice president of marketing and community development for the Chamber of Commerce following graduation from Oklahoma State University in 1989. A Oklahoma native, Christy grew up in a Conoco expat household, which allowed her the opportunity to attend high school at the American School in London and her first year of college in Northern England. She then transferred to Oklahoma State University where she earned a bachelor's degree in business administration with a major in marketing. She's been keeping the community up to date on locally held events on Stillwater radio stations since 1998 and co-hosting TV31's Morning Edition live weekday mornings since 2003. She also writes monthly columns for the Stillwater News Press to spotlight destination marketing as an integral component of local economic development efforts. She is a past president of the Oklahoma Travel Industry Association Board of Directors and has served on the board since 1995. She's also serving her second term on the United States Travel Industry Association Board of Directors. She is a CDME, the highest designation earned by Destination Marketing Organization Pros. And in 2018, she was recognized with the state's highest tourism honor with the Lifetime Achievement Award for her life's work educating and promoting tourism in Oklahoma. Christy Morrison, welcome to DMOU. Hey, thank you. Well, it's so great to have you on the show. And before we get to your three questions and your bonus round, I have to ask you, I mean, it's been twenty, almost 20 years that you get up at a god-awful early hour <laughs> to host this cable show in the morning, Monday through Friday. You were kind enough to have me on as a guest a number of years ago, and it really is a fun amazing local thing that we don't see in a lot of communities. Tell me about that TV 31 gig and what it's meant to you and the organization. Like you said, it's kind of funny to think about that. I do get up really early. I guess it's just so normal to me now. However, I was asked to be on a local, like you said, cable television show as a guest a very long time ago, and I was so nervous. I was throw-up nervous. You shouldn't have been. Oh, I was so scared, and I did the show, and I guess the owner of the station was watching and just thought I was hilarious or something, <laughs> and so he asked the general manager to get me on to co-host, and I'm like, no way am I going to do that again. I lived through it. I'm done. About two months later, talked me into doing it because I said, okay, look, the only way I'm going to consider doing it is I'm going to take on a lot more responsibility, but I want to be responsible for the the morning guest every single morning. 
and I get to have on who I want. So basically, I don't know another destination marketing organization person in the country who can say, if you move your event or you hold your event in Stillwater, I can promise you free TV publicity. Yeah. That's the reason I do it. And also just from, you know, how DMO, our role has changed substantially in a community, particularly over the last couple of years that I'm now also because of this TV show, very good friends with all the United Way agencies and the service organizations and the civic clubs and non-tourism-related businesses because I always get people on the show that have received awards or opened a new business, expanded a business, carrying another product line, whatever. And so the show is, while, yes, I get up super early, there's not very many people in Stillwater I don't know probably because of that show. (laughs) Well, I think that's the beauty of it. And we're going to talk about some of the trials and tribulations you've gone through over the years. But at the end of the day, this show has allowed you to make those connections. And so there are people in the community that owe you a debt of gratitude because you've given them amplification. You've given them a voice that they wouldn't have had any other way. And so when people take a shot at the DMO, you have hundreds of people in town who are going to say, hell no. (laughs) Christy and the DMO are the reason that we're successful and they've given us voice. I think that it's a brilliant concept that many of us should embrace. You've given something to so many people in that community as far as visibility. That's an amazing asset. Well, I really appreciate that. And and we'll talk about it a in a little bit later, but yes, that was definitely super beneficial to us. I've become very good friends with the general manager of the TV station, and he's a huge supporter of ours as I am of the station. And just, he's also the voice of the OSU Cowgirl basketball team and has done radio his whole career. And so through his connections and my connections, it's really helped that TV station because it's broadcast, oh, about a 50 mile radius from Stillwater. And because really very few of those communities have what we have. We we are very much regional when we're promoting events because some of our smaller communities around us, we are the county seat. We are kind of the hub, although we are a very small community for a lot of smaller communities. And so it's really helped us really embrace the regionalism of our tourism development. And in such, they're going to go to events in these smaller communities, but they're going to spend the night and eat with us. So it's a win-win for everybody. Yeah, absolutely. So let's get to your three questions in bonus round. You hold a distinction that no one else in the country, at least to our knowledge, holds. You know that, right? You are the only DMO CEO to have worked for a chamber DMO, a city DMO, and an independent DMO in the same city. (laughs) And if there's somebody out there with that pedigree, it's not in the same town. So Beyond that, you've been a leader in both Texas and Oklahoma in professional development initiatives that have inspired countless DMO pros, and we love the way you think and move. So here's your first question. You've worked within all three structures. Tell us the pros and cons of each, and let's go in order. First, you were a division of the chamber, and roughly, to our knowledge, about 17% of DMOs share this structure. So what works when you're part of a chamber and what doesn't? You know, I may not 
have been the only one to do it. Maybe the only one who's lived through the whole process. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> but, you know, so I come from a kind of a unique standpoint, as you mentioned during my bio, as I started with the chamber right out of college. In the first five years of my career, I was the chamber VP. So I started out in the chamber world. And so when I switched over to the destination marketing world, and, you know, we have to remember, although it's hard to believe, that was back in 1995. And so back in the 90s and early 2000s, I would say a majority of us were probably departments or divisions of chambers. So we really didn't know any differently. Mm -hmm. Back then, of course, also the chambers were considered the business development organization. We benefited from that affiliation. Also, their partnerships with local businesses, the knowledge of local events, that definitely helped, particularly somebody who was new to tourism. And of course, this is the one we always hear is the shared resources, the shared office, the receptionist, the bookkeeping, HR. So that was definitely a pro. Right. Now, a con that I think I faced, maybe that others wouldn't, because the manner in which I started my career and because the chamber and the DMO were in the same building, people still thought I was doing the chamber stuff when I was supposed to be doing the visitor stuff. And so... That might be a challenge that I had that maybe others didn't have. I think the biggest con was money. Uh, when I first took the job, we were paying the chamber a flat $10,000 a year. Uh, what do they call it? Administrative services. Uh-huh. Yeah. And 15 years later, when the city chose not to renew the contract with the chamber, we were paying him $65,000 a year. Yeah. That's quite a jump. So, I mean, I think we've all heard the money issue is definitely part of it. Another con, I think, is the identity crisis when we separated is people still thought we were part of the chamber. Part of it was because we were still housed in the chamber. But also, and I think a lot of us hear this, is people think they have to be chamber members to receive our services, Yep. which is so not true. But boy, mm -hmm. it's still to this day sometimes a challenge to get that through to some folks. Yeah. That's something that we all kind of face sometimes. I worked under five different chamber CEOs, and that's not as the chamber. That's just my CEO position with the DMO was five different chamber CEOs. And at least two of those required my staff and me, which was, of course, only two of us at the time. We had to sell a certain number of chamber memberships a month. Mm, yep. And that had a lot to do with visitor development. <laughs> There's the money issue, the administrative fee or even in some cases in chambers where they reappropriate monies for other stuff under the guise of visitors, but it's not really. And then there's the human capital, right? It's that you've got a set of goals that you have to hit, but you know, two days a week, you're overdoing chamber stuff. Right. And how do I hit my goals, right? Exactly. And then on top of that, depending on what phone line somebody called in on, we were supposed to only promote chamber members. Yeah. Well, you know as well as I do that not all restaurants, museums, attractions, hotels are going to be chamber members, and we were really supposed to be promoting all of them. So it was really trying to re-educate people on to just what phone number to call in so that we could answer yeah. in the manner that we felt was best answered. Just crazy. So let's then take this to the city department DMO. Again, pros, cons? <laughs> So when the city chose not to renew the contract with the chamber, I was charged to find a location for us to move into. It didn't happen immediately. 
So <laughs> you can imagine how uncomfortable and awkward that was for several months. Yeah. But I will tell you at that time too, our board was very adamant and really put forth a very valiant effort to be independent at that time. They truly thought that was the best route to go. A lot of that was assistance. You know, and I really should say a big thank you to you from the very beginning because you have been with me every step of the way on every one of these transitions and <laughs> everything that I've yeah. been through. You have, you and Terry both have been there for me and I, I really appreciate it. It sure helped to have somebody there who understood that you could vent to and <laughs> wouldn't judge. <laughs> but, you know, at least when we became a department of the city, they recognized that we probably wouldn't be best suited to be housed in the city municipal building. And if you can believe this, a local businessman who had been serving on our board, who owns all the convenience stores in town and owns a lot of property, he invested half a million dollars of his own money to renovate one of his properties on the most used entrance into Stillwater on the south side of the road so that people coming into town, it has about 50 dedicated parking spots. And so we are in the best location and it had a vestibule that allowed us to have a 24-7 visitor information center, which is outstanding. So a pro was that we did have our own independent identity, and we were finally able to have a visitor information center, which was wonderful. Mm -hmm. uh, we had, obviously, with the city, a built-in accounting and HR department, which can also be a con. <laughs> we had a seat at the table for many things. However, very early in my career, I began attending city council meetings. I don't know, maybe it's because I was trying to spend as much time away from my ex-husband as possible. I don't know why. <laughs> why on earth would you ever voluntarily attend these meetings? I'm not sure. But I think a big part of me attending those meetings helped because as a department of the city, it was pretty interesting when I attended my first city department head meeting and we went around the room. I knew all but two people out of 40 and people who had been city employees forever didn't know as many people in the room as I knew. Yeah, right. <laughs> but I think that's because, once again, we're a very small DMO. And so, as you know, the CEO in small DMOs is half of the marketing department, half of the sales department, administration, everything else. So we had a great relationship. And another great thing, too, is as a, as a department of the city, we did get 100% of the lodging tax. So that was outstanding. Mm -hmm. And you and me both have really, really good friends who are city DMOs. And there's no denying that the benefits are much, probably much greater than you're going to get in the private sector. So it just depends on, on what city that you're a part of for sure. But we did have great benefits those four years we were a city department. I was happy to not get them anymore to be independent, though. Yeah. So it just depends on how the community is focused and how the community best benefits from the visitor development efforts. And of course, you know, as well as I do, everything's about people. Mm -hmm. The whole government DMO thing, while it is a pain in the ass as far as procurement and pay and, I mean, there's a whole bunch of reasons why it shouldn't be within city. You know, Maura Gast in Irving, Texas will tell you that all those amazing assets that happened you know, the convention center, the convention center hotel, the entertainment district probably wouldn't have happened if she wasn't on a day by day working relationship with every other department in the city. That kind of development took that kind of connectivity. And so, 
you can't say that it doesn't work because in many cases it does, but it's just not easy. Yeah. So, you know, and I was just going to mention a, a couple of the cons for the city is that we were just not able as a department of the city to do some things that the city really wanted us to do. Uh, but because we were government at that time, I was just going to bring up a specific example is this is going to make me sound like such a party animal, which I'm really not, but my friends Don't are now thinking start. I'm a big old liar, but, um, <laughs> <laughs> but you know, we have Oklahoma uh, liquor laws and those are very archaic in many ways. And most of them are County by County and our liquor laws in Payne County did not allow for the sale of alcohol on Sundays. So we had groups and organizations coming to town who wanted to have mimosa bars and Bloody Mary bars, and and we could not allow them to do that. And I was looking at it from an economic development issue and not an alcohol issue. And so I literally had to go to the county commissioners. I got a, a two-to-one vote, but that's okay, whatever. I got two and got it on a ballot. But as a city employee, I was not allowed to, quote-unquote, work on that during city hours. And so I was either given the option of taking a leave of absence <laughs> or doing it in my free time, which I think we all know in our world, what's free time. So I just made sure it was after hours. And if I did copies, I did them somewhere else. But that was definitely something that was to be done to help the entire city. And the city wanted me to do it. But as a city employee, and I couldn't get anyone else to do it, right? So it's just things that can be a benefit. So having said that, there's a lot of things that we can do to help the city more now. And I think they even recognize that, not as a department of the city, that the private sector can more easily do than the public sector. And so now let's move to 501c6, independent, nonprofit. You can move with the wind what else is the advantage of being independent in your eyes? Yeah. And so, you know, as independent, a pro obviously is 100% of our effort is now directly and purely a DMO mission, Yeah, which, man, that's just been super, super nice having, you know, worked through both of the others. You know, we are able to adhere to industry and DMO best policies. Yeah, It's uh, much less confusing for visitors and clients. Like you said, you can act and react much more quickly in the public sector than the, I mean, the private sector than the public sector for sure. And in a lot of ways, I think the community benefits from having another economic development organization that can assist in community-wide endeavors. And I think it just makes your community look that much stronger as well. When meeting in event planners or in the group market, and they see that you have a DMO that is an actual sales and marketing team, don't you think it gives you a little bit more respect? Yeah. And it also, I think, I think it adds to the quality of what people from outside the community think of you in the community because you've invested in those different functions for sure. Mm -hmm. And, you know, during COVID, <laughs> we made about 200 calls a week to all of our local restaurants and then a ton of our retailers just to find out what their hours of operation, if they're open, what their hours are, if they are doing delivery, curbside, gift certificates. And so we called about 200 businesses a week for about eight, nine weeks. And so we became very, very close with our local business community, even a lot of those that we hadn't yet worked with very closely. And I really think they appreciated that reach out 
And that kind of helped establish us more a little bit as your independent assistants, their uh, marketing and sales arm, I guess. Yeah. And I think there's one other thing about both chamber and municipal or government DMOs is that the ability to be an independent, to your point about the relationships you build, those relationships then can possibly move into new revenue streams. Exactly. And I'm not going to say that I haven't seen city departments who haven't figured out a way to generate private sector revenues, but they are few and far between. And I think it's much easier for a entrepreneur, a business person to look at an independent and say, my money's going to be well spent here. They're going to look at a city and say, uh, I'm not sure that's going to work. And chamber is kind of like, yeah, is that old school? Is that you know, is my money going to get commingled into other stuff? Because I know that if I'm going to invest in a 501c independent DMO, that every penny of my money is going towards the goal. Right. So I, I think revenue-wise, as we all realize how important it is to diversify our revenue streams, I think that the independent makes it easier to attract that kind of revenue. So Also, when you look at state laws are yeah. different across the country, and <laughs> a lot of my good friends are attorneys, so I feel like I can say this. If you hand any document to an attorney and ask them what it means, they're going to say, what do you want it to mean? <laughs> yeah. Right. Because it's all about interpretation, because what we are legally can do one year, depending on whose interpretation of an ordinance or a, a resolution or whatever, uh, that can change. So I totally see where you're coming from. Yeah. So what's the downside to an independent? <laughs> Well, I do think the better job we do, the more that gets somewhat thrust upon us. I think the last two years are a great example of where what has probably historically been considered another local organization's responsibility we kind of took on a little bit. And so I think that we've become more, and I choose to say we market to visitors, but we're communicating to residents. And I think that communication and public relations side of what we do has grown enormously, particularly over the last couple of years. So I do feel like we do a lot of things to be a good partner that also may not be DMO related. For instance, we handed out masks. We handed out, I think, oh gosh, I mean, 60,000 masks for the city of Stillwater and coordinated a vaccine campaign for them. Because once again, it wasn't something that they could do, but we did it and helped them. But once again, we had a lot of really good business partners as a result of that. We also have, like I said, that 24-7 Visitor Information Center. So now we are the go-to place for relocation packets, recruitment packets. Nobody else in town does a map anymore. And as much as people may hold that phone that has GPS, it's still the most requested item out of our visitor center. And so we reproduced a map and we were through our relationship with the university, have the OSU campus map on the back, as well as the Payne County map. So there's just a lot of things that you would might. And so why I'm saying they're cons, they may or may not be cons, but they certainly are things that we are not historically used to doing. We even do the whole community calendar of events now. But if we hadn't been doing a lot of these things over the last three or four years, I think we would have been in a lot of trouble uh, leading up to your next question. <laughs> Yeah. And then I will also say when uh, we recently went through the DMAP process and I think it became very evident to those of us that are independent DMOs that in a lot of ways we did have a heftier task 
because we have to create our own policies and and hire our own janitorial and office maintenance and bid that insurance for the office and the employees and even our HR department when you are a department of the chamber or the city you kind of absorb those so you you're not beholden to have to create those on your own. So there is a lot that you have to do, but I do think it makes you strong as an organization as well. So you were a survivor of an RFP process, which we are sadly seeing more and more around the country. Uh, It's becoming more and more prevalent. So tell us about your experience going through that and how those facing challenges like that should be responding. How can they benefit from your pain, but also your success? You know, it's hard to not take that personally, and I would be totally lying to you if I don't have moments still today, two years later, that I just get a twinge and a, <laughs> and a you know, hurt feelings and pretty annoyed at the same time. PTSD. However, absolutely, <laughs> yeah. in every way. Right. I do think, though, if you're able to put yourself in a mental position that it's going to make you stronger as an organization and go into it thinking you've got this because there is really no other decision. Now, I feel a little hypocritical saying that knowing what happened to our good friend Anna in Duluth, which just makes me want to throw up, to be honest with you. And it'll be less than 12 months when they realize they probably should have tweaked that decision just a bit because, and and I'll tell you some specifics why, but For me, when I started this job almost 26 years ago to the day, in fact, Saturday will be my 26th anniversary with Visit Stillwater. Can you believe that? congratulations. Yeah. (laughs) A lot of people try to make sure that didn't happen, but I'm pretty stubborn and I'm still here. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, the lodging tax then was $155,000 a year. And we had uh, 10 hotel properties. And now we should be bringing in about a million a year and we have 18 hotel properties. And there's no way that anybody can tell me that that kind of growth wouldn't have happened without a proactive DMO that a person wanted to invest their dollars to be part of our thriving visitor development. So we we spend a lot of money on a comprehensive marketing and sales plan, but it doesn't typically as a DMO involve a lot of resources to tell our story. And that's one thing that just has to stop. And it just makes me feel almost icky when we go, yeah, we were a part of that. But you know, from now on, we were a part of that. <laughs> it's frustrating because, and for whatever reason, it's the irony is it's our job to make things look fun and effortless. So when you do a super good job, nobody thinks it's that difficult. Yeah. Like my yeah. good friend Shannon Overby says, it's like we're a duck. We're really cool on the surface of the water, but underneath we're treading like crazy. And so people don't care about that. They just see all the successes. And it's our job historically to make everybody else look good. We don't typically spend a lot of time or money telling people we were part of that process. And so we're trying to do a lot better job of that now without it being anybody's face, I guess. I also think it's important for people to realize, like when anybody says, well, the city gives you this much money a year. I'm like, the city doesn't give us anything. Gives? City doesn't give anybody no. anything. <laughs> it, exactly. Invest. They invest those dollars. That money's not invested in Visit Stillwater. That money is invested into our efforts to promote over 2,000 events a year, 200 businesses a year, a brand, an image, a uh, relationships, a do-whatever-it-can-take or do-whatever-it-takes attitude. 
And so you're right, it's an investment and it's not an investment to promote us. It's an investment to promote our local community. Can you imagine every, (laughs) we kind of laugh about this a little bit, every event and business that we work with in Stillwater, if they had to invest their own dollars to market and promote themselves to the level that we do, it would easily be five, six, 10 times what we're able to do for them on their behalf. Mm -hmm. And I think it's important for us to be able to tell that story that we are the marketing arm for a lot of those small businesses that either don't have the money or the knowledge or the expertise to do it themselves. I think that movie, You Build It, They Will Come, hurt us in our industry because there is nothing that could be further from the truth. You build it, they do not come. You have to market it and promote it and shamelessly get in front of people and stay in front of people to make sure that you're open. Uh, When a business comes in and goes out and everybody's appalled, I always say, well, where did you ever see them talk about themselves? Did they ever get the word out about what was happening and that they were even open for that matter? And so I do feel like we as a DMO need to get in the middle of that and help people through the RFQ process because of, like you said, our involvement with the TV show and the radio and other things. Within two weeks of that RFQ process being announced, we had over 150 letters of support. And those weren't just from the obvious folks with the hotels and the museums and the attractions. Those were from nonprofit agencies and other businesses, even electricians and plumbers, because they saw the benefit that we made that helped their partners be able to afford to do more business with them. And so while you might have the biggest urge sometimes to say that's not my job, there's only three of us three total staff members here, and we don't say that ever. We do things all day long, every day, that probably isn't our direct responsibility, but it's definitely providing us relevance in the community. And I would prefer us to be the go-to place than the second on anybody's mind when they're looking at things they want to see or do in Stillwater. Yeah. So for those who are facing or will someday face an RFP or an RFQ process, tell me some of the angles that opponents to the DMO will try to use against you to say, well, this is why we're going to do the RFP, because you're either this or you're not doing this or whatever it may be. What are those warning signs that we should start to look for? And then how did you respond to those attacks that you were supposedly not getting the job done? Well, my major was in business. Mm -hmm. And typically, I know that we all in our industry use the term return on investment. But if you look at the definition of return on investment, we really can't personally provide that because we are investing in a lot of other businesses that we don't have access to all of their data and their information. So in my mind, you have to find other ways in which to prove your relevance. What's interesting to me is and I've seen this in every single, well, I think I only know of four or five communities that have had to have the pleasure of such an experience. It's just interesting to me that when they head down this path, they think it's only about marketing. And typically they're only thinking it's about, they are only thinking about print advertising. And the irony of all that is, is a majority of our marketing dollars are spent Mm -hmm. 
not yeah. just in print, but mainly digital now and your website and your social, but it's not directed to the local community. So yeah, you probably haven't seen it because it's not directed to you. You're not our market for the most part, at least not for those marketing dollars. And so I think in the very beginning, if you start hearing about some kind of process this like this, you have to get in front of these people and say, we're more than just marketing. Marketing provides the tools for the sales team to come in and do what they do. So while you might get an ad agency or a marketing firm, for instance, we're looking at a huge development in Stillwater right now that they're needing information from me on what groups have we lost in Stillwater over the last 10 years because we didn't have a convention space. How many can come from out of state? Can you prove that 25% of those coming in will bring out of state dollars? Yeah, we can definitely provide data on every one of these questions asked, but a marketing firm or an ad agency, there's no way they'd have had no that way. data. No way. No way whatsoever. And they don't have the relationships. I mean, what happens the first time I don't know some big dog everybody knows publication and they want to send a writer to your community and host this travel writer or blogger or whatever for two days who's going to host them who's going to know where to take them who will even know who to call to set them up with those awesome little quaint things that nobody else really knows to take them to I mean, there's so many things that we as DMO professionals know about our community that an outside ad agency or marketing firm is just not going to have a clue. And I mean, I can tell you that the big development we're looking at right now, they wouldn't have even considered us for this investment had Stillwater not had a DMO. Yeah. Because they know that, that we're the ones that are going to also help market and promote them. Yeah. And that's, I think, the most disconcerting part about the Duluth story. And for those who have not been following along, uh, the, the mayor of Duluth decided that she didn't like the direction of the marketing that uh, Visit Duluth was doing. And so she put the contract uh, with Visit Duluth out to bid and ultimately uh, awarded the vast majority of the revenue that had been uh, invested in Visit Duluth for 50 years into an ad agency from 150 miles away. And, and the thing that I just can't get my hands around is, especially in the past 18, 20 months, there is no ad agency that would have come to the aid of businesses during COVID, especially if you're 150 miles away. <laughs> it's like, that's just not what they do. And I, to I totally get, hey, you want a new ad agency? Fine. Tell Visit Duluth to fix their ad agency and find somebody else to do it because you don't like it. Easy to do. I 100% agree. But the ad agency needs to work with the DMO. The ad agency is not a DMO. Yeah. And it just boggles my mind. And that's why we have a problem. If people outside our organization think we're an ad agency, then we need to quit acting like an ad agency or make sure that they know beyond a reasonable doubt that we're not. So, I mean, it's, <laughs> that's a huge problem. When I saw that the agency was 150 miles away, I'm like, are you kidding me? They're not even in proximity to be able to have any sort of local presence in the community. How are you even going to know what's going on? Yeah. Now, they're going to do great advertising. There's no question. They're really talented. But as you said, we're not ad agencies. We are on the ground. We are working with our destination partners. We have the intel. We, you know, 
it's a partnership of what we do and and we're there on the ground and and an ad agency isn't and so let me take you to the third question ultimately you told me that the RFP challenge was a result of the DMO not bragging on itself enough or sharing how your role in the community has changed, that you're not ad agency, you're actually a community development organization. So DMO staff can post up all kinds of local PR, but you believe it's the board's role to be critical in communicating the DMO's value. How did your board respond? Oh my gosh, absolutely. And I know that some of my counterparts don't have a board. And on the one hand, I'm like, oh my gosh, that must be nice. Only because you don't have to do the board packets and the minutes and the meetings and all that goes with it. Right. However, I would take a board any day of the week, given the three structures that I've worked in, as well as that RFP process. And that's because I, I really think that if we didn't have... If we didn't have a board of directors, I don't think we'd exist today. Yeah. And once again, a big thank you to you and your books, Destination Leadership and the one before that, Destination Leadership for Boards. Thank you. Uh, because that's required reading of my board members, by the way. And whether they read the whole thing or not, you can quickly go through there and definitely see what your responsibility is. It makes you proud and honored to serve on a DMO board because we do truly make a difference when we do what we're supposed to do. But our members got really active and they all individually wrote a letter of support coming from their particular business. And once again, per your book, all of our board members are presidents, CEOs, decision makers, anyone who can make something happen within two phone calls, as you say. And they helped out tremendously to the point where two of them, they were the ones that were vocal through the process. They're the ones who gave the reports. Uh, they are the ones that continue to this day, Bill, they, uh, the chairman of my board, who's outstanding and who was the one who gave our presentations. He gives our verbal semi-annual report. He yep. gives our verbal annual report because we're paid to have these opinions and we're in the middle of it. He doesn't have to, but if he's there and he's given the report, he sincerely believes in it, which he does. I think that says volumes for volunteer leadership who yeah. contribute so many hours to an organization because they truly believe in our mission and the and the difference that we are different makers in the community and always have who they are on your website, yeah. how to communicate with them. We now have the last three years of business plans, semi-annual and annual reports posted on our website. Anything to be transparent but also, I mean, I truly thought, Bill, that after we went through that process, there was no way we were going to get anybody to serve on our board again. I have a waiting list. <laughs> I mean, the opposite happened because cool. it made us stronger as an organization. We realized we weren't telling our story well. We weren't being a part of things. Every single press release that goes in the paper, bragging and all the events we bring to town, now we go out of our way to where somewhere in it we could nonchalantly put Visit Stillwater provided, blah, blah, blah. So people know that Visit Stillwater was a part of it. And we have these uh, 12 local leaders who are out and about telling everybody that we are a part of these things. So we did help make those things happen. Very cool. It is pretty cool. It makes me proud that, that they want to serve on the board as well. You know, to that point, there are so many boards uh, and bureaus right now that are having a hard time finding new people, new blood to come on board yep. because it just looks 
Uh, just daunting. It's, you know, and I, and I think part of it is that, you know, the, the politicization of our world has gotten to a point where I, I think there are a number of really great true. potential board candidates that just don't want to put themselves in a political position because it could come back, you know, the, the blowback could hurt them and their business. And they go, eh, you know, as much as I, I love you guys and I want to help, I, I can't take that risk. And that's just it's a shame. And it's great that you've got a board and you've got a waiting list on that board that just shows how much the organization has has really elevated itself in the minds of the community. And so congratulations for that. But it's time now for your bonus round question. <laughs> I have been fascinated with your documentation on social media of trips with your family, places like Africa. So tell us your best trips because yeah, we're in the travel business and a lot of us travel for business, but so few of us travel for pleasure anymore. And you do. So tell us about the good trips. Yeah. So my sister and I made a commitment that we were going to travel with our parents as long as they could travel and enjoy those experiences together. And so we, um, golly, what, 2016, we went to East Africa yeah. and spent almost uh, two and a half, three weeks on a photographic safari in Kenya and Tanzania or Tanzania, as they say there, and I'm sure they say it properly. <laughs> yeah. And it was amazing. I mean, to be amongst all of these animals. And see, I'm a product of Mutual of Omaha's Wild Kingdom, right? Right. <laughs> I grew yeah. up watching that, and I told my family growing up every single Saturday and Sunday when I would watch these shows that I'm going to be amongst these animals in the wild someday. And so I was so thrilled when my mom and dad wanted to go there, and my sister and we went there. It was the most amazing experience of my life. And then uh, we also went to South Africa and went to uh, South Africa, Zimbabwe, Botswana. If we had hit the shore on this one boat, we would have been in Namibia. And I absolutely <laughs> love that as well. Uh, the last trip we went on was Antarctica that started in Chile and went down the Drake Passage, Antarctica, Falkland Islands, back up Argentina. And while that was simply amazing, oh, and actually our we were supposed to go in 2020 to Portugal in Spain on a riverboat cruise, but obviously that was canceled and it's yeah. been postponed and been postponed. But It's on my list. So if I could go in any of those again, I would pick East Africa in a second. And it's because it's mainly small villages, the Maasai tribe, which is just fascinating. It's all those guys that can jump super high and... And actually, um, one of the Maasai princes offered my dad several cattle in exchange for me. So I take that as a compliment. <laughs> that is. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, I could have been there today and not had to go through that yeah. RFQ process. <laughs> and what would your dad have done with the cattle? <laughs> nah, he said it would have been a lot cheaper to raise them than it would have been to raise me. Yeah, that's probably true. That's but, just amazing. Uh, it's so unbelievable to be amongst a culture that truly so many have so little but would give you what they have and just such a happy people. It was just fascinating. I, I was able to speak to a lot of the youngsters and we went to an orphanage and I still am a pin pal with one of the young boys that I met there and he's a, he writes to me to practice his English and it's just, it's hard not to leave part of your heart in Africa once you've been there. Yeah. That's just amazing. And it, it is a locale that we have yet to get to, but is on our list as our- Highly recommend yeah. it. 
Absolutely. And I think that you, you know, you hit upon something really, uh, I, I think, profound in that there are destinations where people will um, just, you know, shirt off their back. Anything you want, anything you need. We just got back from a work week in Puerto Rico. Oh, wow. And we were outside of San Juan. So we were out in the country. And every single person we met wanted to have us over for dinner That's or awesome. wanted us to come see their house or wanted us to, let's go to the bioluminescent bay together tonight. And it, you just don't find that stateside. No, you do not. And you, re you really have to get out of this ecosystem that we're in and you find that people are genuinely looking to make a connection. And I think that Americans, to a degree, don't make connections like that to be among people who are that much in the moment and can't wait to show you how they live and what their culture is. It is. Yeah, absolutely. And so proud. It's hard not to want to be a part of it. I think I've been to 42 countries now. Wow. And cool. a great percentage of those, well, there's a lot that were definitely third world experiences. And those are amongst my favorite. Absolutely. 100% yeah. because of you, because so proud of their culture and their dress and their food. I've eaten stuff that I never in a million years thought I would eat, <laughs> but they were right. proud. And I was like, yeah, this isn't so bad after all. And I mean, right. it's just to get out of your head and to try to be in their place and let them be proud of what they have. And then pretty soon you feel like you're part of it. That's, that's why I would prefer the East Africa to South Africa is I've been to big cities and there's a lot of similarities. Yeah. I preferred the East side of Africa where it's the smaller villages and it just, I mm -hmm. like that feel a whole lot better. Yeah. Well, and nothing against San Juan, but if you're going to Puerto Rico, I got to tell you, you got to get in, out into the country because, I, you know, especially on the South coast where we were, oh, just amazing. And it's a whole different feel. And it's, it's really exciting to, to see the vibrancy of an economy that, that frankly has gone through Zika, hurricanes, earthquakes, political turmoil, right? And COVID. And yet, wow, this country has done virtually nothing uh, in the past four years to assist. That's changing. I mean, that was the last administration. The new administration is releasing all of the aid money that should have gone to Puerto Rico. And that's going to happen in the next year or two. And that's exciting. And, and, and you know, the island is going to come back like crazy. It is a beautiful place. It is. But to be there with the people having been essentially denied aid for four years and they're just moving ahead. It's like, Hey, this is who we are. We're going to keep, we're going to keep moving. It's just, it was very, very cool. So it's, it's um, actually contagious. Their perseverance I know. and you come back and think, Ooh, okay. I mean, here's the thing. You think you have a bad day. There's a billion other people that have had a worse day. Absolutely. You know, you think you're going through really tough times. Yeah. I think it's not even near bad Not even close. so i am totally with you on that yeah. and i'm glad you mentioned something because we have a u.s travel board meeting there uh, next july and i'm going to take my sister for her birthday so we will make sure to rent a car or find a way to go outside of the city and check out some of the the other areas yeah it's only about 90 minutes to the south coast so you know great communities like la Pagera and a few others that we just fell in love with so uh, that's so, awesome. So, so try and catch a couple of extra days. So Christy, your experiences offer up a treasure trove of cautionary tales and best practices. If a DMO is looking at a structural change or an efficacy challenge, you always throw yourself into the fray. I know you are a constant confidant 
as Visit Duluth went through their machinations this summer. How can people reach out and find you? Oh, please, please do. In fact, I would like to think I couldn't have made it through my experience without people that I reached out to. When a fellow CEO DMO reaches out to you, please do everything you can to put them at the top of your to-do list or your priorities because they're not reaching out to you because they want to. It's because they have to. And it's usually very timely. And so I am there to help you. I have more information than you can possibly imagine. I'd like to think I supplied Anna with some massive amounts of stuff that she didn't have to redo herself. And I think that we're all here to make our industry bigger and stronger. So I would absolutely help anybody who could use it. There is absolutely no doubt. I'll tell you what, rather than put your personal information out there, anybody listening that wants to connect, just give us a buzz at DMO Pros and we will connect you with Christy. That's it for this edition of DMOU. Tell your friends and your peers that this is where the best and the brightest get together to tell inspiring stories for DMO Pros. And thanks too to our sponsor, 26 Digital, a full service agency that offers integrated marketing solutions exclusively to destination marketing organizations and members of the travel, tourism, and hospitality industries. You can find them at 26digital, all letters, no numbers, 26digital.com. DMOPros.com is where you're going to find more on our services to the DMO world, plus links to the Z News, our Knowledge Bank videos, blogs, the biggest DMO job board on the planet, as well as links to earlier episodes of DMOU. That's DMOPros with a Z.com. Executive producer of DMOU is Terry White, and this is a production of DMO Pros. I'm your host, Bill Geist. Until next time.